welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Dead man walking is about a man. Not a macho man. Not an effeminate man, but a real man. A man that was on earth for some 33 and a half years, but lived a totally surrendered life to the will of his father. And so he was, although he was very much alive, he was very much dead to his own ideas, will, and ways. And that's what makes him the greatest man that ever lived. And so this series is us looking at the last week of Jesus' life on earth before he goes and dies upon a cross. And we looked last week at Jesus being honoured, the event that took place one week before he went and was crucified. At night, says shared about Jesus being surrendered. And this morning, I want to look at the arrest of Jesus. But to help me out this morning, I want you to welcome the skit guys. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hey, uh, excuse me there, mate. Um, what have you got there? It's just some wild birds I found. Some birds? And, yeah. uh, well, yeah, where'd you find them? Over there, in that field. Oh, okay. And uh, what do you plan to do with them? Oh, I'm going to play games with them. What, what kind of games? Well, I was going to poke sticks at them. Poke sticks? Yeah, wow. uh, scare them a little bit. Huh. Um, I might make them fight each other as well. Fight each other? Yeah, that's what okay. I do. Okay. Well, you know, I actually lost some birds over in that field over there myself. Um, well... Look, can I buy them off you? You want these birds? Yeah, I do. But they're not good for nothing. They're just going to fly away. Tell you what. I've got money. $10. 10 bucks? Yeah. All right, sure. $20. $20? Yeah. Okay, fine. $50. That's my final offer. 50 bucks? Yeah, they're exotic birds. Exotic? You said you found them on that field over there. Did you not know it's an exotic field? <laughs> 50 bucks, all right, but this is all I've got. Thank you. You can have them.
basically see you looking at the cage. Yeah. Do you know what's inside that cage? Humanity? Found them in the garden. Funny thing is, they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. And uh, just exactly what do you plan to do with them? I'm going to play games with them. What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their lives that they think will bring them so much pleasure. I'm going to turn their world upside down, make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? And then they'll be damned for all eternity. You know, my father and I, we're pretty fond of humanity. I know. We actually want them to have access to us. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they're just going to turn their backs on you. Some will. But some won't. It's going to cost you. I know. It's going to cost you your tears. I know. It's going to cost you your blood. I know. It's going to cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life for these humans. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You get it? In John chapter 18, reading from verse 1, it said, When Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And who are you looking for? 
I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. I've just read to you the account of the arrest of Jesus. And it highlights many things and I want to just look at four this morning. The first is that Jesus was found in a garden. Interestingly enough, history began in a garden. It was in a garden that Adam sinned for the very first time. And it was God that expelled them from that very same garden. And now here's Jesus, the last Adam. First Adam expelled from the garden because of his sin. And now there's this man by the name of Jesus, the last Adam, in a garden ready to redeem mankind. This garden was in a place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means oil press. And so here's Jesus in a garden of Gethsemane. And it's a type of picture to us of what Jesus was about to endure. Just as those olives would be put into an olive press and squeezed for its oil. Jesus is in a garden in Gethsemane, about to be squeezed. Squeezed to the point that all life would be gone from him. He was found in this garden. And just this very act alone was fulfilling prophecy. Isaiah 60 verse 30, uh, 63 verse 3 says, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. It's little wonder why Jesus was in the garden, he sweated blood. Such was the pressure and the enormity that he was under. The little capillaries under the surface of his skin broke and he didn't just sweat perspiration, he sweated blood at the enormity of what he was about to face when he was in the garden. The garden also speaks to us of consistency. This was a garden that Jesus often went to. 
It was a place where he prayed. It's a place where he reflected. It's a place where he meditated. It's a place that he took the disciples and taught them how to pray. He knew in going to the garden he would be found because he knew that Jesus, Judas knew that he'd be there. And Jesus knew that his time had come. And so he went to the place where he knew he'd be found. And Judas knew exactly where he would be because that was his custom. That's what he did on a regular basis. Can the same be said for us? Do people know where you'll be every Sunday morning? Or does it depend on how you feel? Depend on whose birthday it is, whose anniversary it is. Can people say of you, it's Sunday morning, I know where they'll be found. Or do they look at, oh, the sun's out, I know where they'll be found, or they'll be down the beach. Judas knew exactly where to go. He'll be in the garden. Because that's where he always went. Consistency is the key to maturity. You want to be a good parent? Consistency is the key. Your kids should know that mum and dad are always going to do this if I do this. Consistency is the key. And the key to Jesus' great strength was his consistency. Secondly, he was not only found in the garden on the night of his arrest, but he was betrayed with a kiss. You see, Judas lived with Jesus for at least three years, if not more. And you'd think after three years, you'd get to know somebody, wouldn't you? And yet after three years, Judas never, ever, ever got to know Jesus. You can live with someone and still not know them. Oh, I could be talking about a lot of marriages, couldn't I? Because by the time we go out to work, to pay off our mortgage, to get all the bells and whistles and the toys and the birthday presents, we don't have time to get to know each other. And Judas spent time with Jesus, the same amount of time that Peter did. Yet he never got to know him. What, a, what an indictment that Judas never got to know Jesus and so he missed out on what was available. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, and it's one of my daily prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Oh, I hope you get to know Jesus. Because to know him is to love him. And to love him is to love people. And to love people is to forgive them. And to forgive them is to get to church. And never, ever, ever give up on him. If you know him. And as a result of Judas not knowing Jesus as he ought, he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. See, if you don't know Jesus, you'll sell out every time. If you don't know Jesus, you might not sell out for 30 pieces of silver, but you might sell out in other ways. If you don't know Jesus, you might stop giving when the offering bucket comes around. 
It's one way of selling out. Because really, if you know Jesus, you're not going to withhold after all He's done for us. The reason we don't is not because it's Old Testament or New Testament theology or teaching. The reason we don't give is because we don't know Him. Because to know Him is to be like Him. You might not sell out for 30 pieces of silver, but you might sell out by not just going to church. You might sell out by not standing up for your beliefs in the university because you're in the minority. Just because you haven't sold out for 30 pieces of silver doesn't mean you haven't sold out. But at the root of him selling out was the fact he didn't know Jesus. And so I want to encourage everyone to get to know him. Don't read your Bible to be a goodly two-shoes. Read your Bible to get to know him. Don't read your Bible to tick off your daily reading to be a nice little Christian. Don't do it for that reason. Do it to know Him. Don't come to church to please me or anybody else. Come to church to know Him. Don't listen to me to try to please me. Listen to me so that you get to know Him. Ironically, he was betrayed with a kiss. Talk about bad taste. A kiss is a sign of affection and love. And here he is, with one of the most hypocritical moves recorded in Scripture, he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Isn't it easy to talk about Judas other than look at ourselves in the story? Isn't it easy? Say, bad Judas. But where do we do that? Where do we raise our hands and yet we're kind of, you know, thinking about what we've got for dinner? Got to put the roast potatoes in it. This is a sign of surrender. We're not even thinking about him. Judas. These stories aren't recorded for us to go on about Judas for the rest of our lives. These are recorded in scriptures so that we can see the Judas in us. And the most amazing thing of all, all this being true, Jesus calls his betrayer friend. Unfortunately for Judas, he has a horrific end to his life. He's riddled with guilt. He can't take the 30 pieces of silver and he ends up hanging himself. He missed the moment of God's visitation. Thirdly, he was defended with the sword. Peter, I love Peter. He sees what's going on. He's got a little sword with him. He pulls out the sword to defend Jesus. Sounds so good, doesn't it? I mean, what better way to prove your love and devotion than to stand up for Jesus with a sword in your hand? And Peter just starts swinging and lashing out. 
dark. He doesn't even know what he's doing. I mean, he gets one of the servants. I mean, like, how about go for one of the soldiers? I mean, like, what's... And taking off the ear, really? Something tells me Pete's not thinking here. Peter's actions hindered, not helped, the purpose of God. You see, the point is that Jesus didn't need defending. If Jesus wanted to be defended, he could have called legions of angels. He didn't need Pete and his sword. But Peter thinks he's doing the right thing because Jesus has just done a teaching about carrying a sword. Talk about confused. Jesus has just done a teaching about carrying a sword. And so Pete thinks he, he thinks he's being obedient and yet he's being disobedient because he misunderstood what Jesus was saying. And he ends up hindering, not helping. He hindered in so many ways. He attacked the wrong enemy. The Bible tells us that the enemy is not flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers. He attacks the wrong enemy. He uses the wrong weapon. When Jesus talked about a sword, he wasn't talking about a physical sword. He's talking about prayer and the Word of God. So he's got the wrong enemy, the wrong weapon, on the wrong motive. He only did it out of insecurity and rebellion. Just did his own thing. And he got the wrong result. He almost ended up killing someone. An innocent guy, just some servant who probably wouldn't even wanted to be there, but just had to be there. Wrong enemy, wrong weapon, wrong motive, wrong result. Now, in this story, we're Peter. We're not Jesus, okay? Have you ever done anything with the wrong motive? Using the wrong weapon? Got the wrong results? He was getting in the way of what Jesus really wanted to happen. You ever got in the way of what God really wanted to do? And amazingly enough, Jesus' response is to fix Peter's mess. He steps in the gap and acts as a mediator between Peter and this servant. This is the gospel. Christ standing in between you and your mess, you and your sin, you and your stuff ups, you and your foul mouth, bad attitude. He bends down, picks up this servant's ear and goes, Peter, ear, ear, mate. And heals this servant, thus saving Peter's backside. Peter could have been crucified that night had Jesus not stepped in. 
And fourthly, he was bound without a fight. The context here is it's nighttime. In other words, it was done in secret. And the reason it was done in secret is because they didn't have a charge against Jesus. Other than they were just jealous. The truth be known, they were just jealous of Jesus. They hated him because he, he had all the power. He had the people on side. People loved him. He was messing with their religion. And so they go at night so no one can see and arrest an innocent man. The whole arrest is bogus. Yet, Jesus doesn't justify nor defend himself. Wow. How's this? He willingly was arrested. And this willingness to be arrested was seen in the following actions. In that he went to a place where he knew he'd be found. They did it in secret. Jesus went where he knew he'd be found. He went to meet Jesus, uh, Judas. Judas had arranged a signal. The man I kiss is the man you need to arrest. In other words, Jesus was so natural. Outside of the way he lived his life, he was so natural. Now, if Jesus was like some of the pictures portrayed and he had this halo and this really white clothes. Have you ever seen those pictures where Jesus seems to have a little secret on washing powder that the other guys don't know about? <laughs> now, if you've got a halo and your clothes are really white, I'm saying, you know, I'm, just go with a guy with really clean clothes. Go with a guy with a halo around his head. Go for the guy who's white, pasty face and blue-eyed because, you know, in Middle Eastern culture, that's going to stand out. Where they get that picture of Jesus, I don't know. See, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus is so natural. If he, if he was into titles, go by the one who always calls himself Pastor so-and-so. Uh-oh. Go for the one in the three-piece suit. Now, Jesus is just like everyone else, equal. There is nothing about Jesus in his appearance, in his title, that's separated from anyone else. And Judas knew that, so they, they had to arrange a signal. He was so normal, yet so powerful. That's how we're meant to live our lives. I, I, yes, I'm one of the pastors of this church, but God forbid you ever call me Pastor Tony. Why should my position be honoured more than yours? You're awesome. Your position is awesome. Do it well. But Jesus going to Judas renders a kiss unnecessary. He says, here I am. Do what you've got to do, friend. He kisses him anyway because he's so shocked. See, he doesn't know Jesus at all. You, you can imagine, you know, the soldiers. Jesus comes, here I am. 
And Judas just, just kisses him anyway. I think, Jesus, Judas, we, we got it. <laughs> Rendering the kiss unnecessary. He openly acknowledged that he was the guy. So I'm the guy. When he said, I'm the guy, he says they withdrew and they bowed down. Wow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. These guys had weapons. They had numbers on their side. And when Jesus said, I am he, they bowed down. The weight, the enormity of his I am he. Wow. And Jesus, so committed to dying, he gives them a second chance. He goes, guys, get up. I'm he. He protects his disciples. He said, let them go. He fixes Peter's mistake by healing Malchus's ear. He allows himself to be chained. He went quietly with his captors and he stood silently before the authorities. This is no ordinary man and this is no ordinary story. Now, musicians can please come. And because of time and because of my long-winded preamble prior, we're not going to do communion this morning, so you can all relax. In concluding with everything I've shared this morning, I want to say that history began in a garden. Sin was first committed in that garden. Man, the first Adam, was cast out of that garden. Jesus, the last Adam, was in a garden ready to redeem mankind. And the scriptures record that there's another garden. In Revelation chapter 21 and chapters 22, it talks about a new city, a new heaven, a new earth, a new garden. And what made that possible is a work that Jesus did in the garden. And this city is like no other city. This garden is like no other garden. In Revelation chapter 21, Verse 1, it says, Then I saw heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful dressed, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. 
They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. If you live in suffering every day of your life and you are misunderstood every day of your life and your wife does not return love that you give freely and that happens every day of your life Or you live with some physical ailment that brings pain to you every day of your life. It's still worth worshipping Jesus every day of your life. Because even if we live to be a hundred years old, even if we take our vitamins and our protein shake and we get to be 200 years old, it's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. 200 years of suffering every day of your life is worth it in light of eternity, in light of this new city where there's no pain, no tears, no suffering. It's worth it. Couple with the fact that we're not in pain every day of our lives, we live in Australia. We're incredibly blessed. We live in a nation where there's a welfare system that will give you money even if you don't work. We're blessed. We're blessed. Let's try and bring some perspective here this morning. There is no excuse for giving up on God. There's no excuse to live with unforgiveness. There's no excuse to harbour resentment towards anyone no matter what they've done to you. Jesus was under a bogus arrest and he allows himself to be freely bound. And as the life of Christ, Christians should be wanting to be more like him. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.